I do want to uh, first of all say thank you to Andy for the invitation here, uh, but thank you to you. Uh, it has long, long been on the hearts of Joyce and I, excuse me, uh, to come here in person and thank you uh, for what was done over a six-year period, things that were impossible to think of, to dream of, relationships that were built uh, brick by brick over that six-year period. Uh, as Andy said, not only what we did for the people of Honduras, but things that we experienced for ourselves in those relationships. We had uh, incredible Bible studies every morning uh, where oftentimes we would break down and bear our souls to one another. And over a six-year period, we formed, we, I still speak as if Joyce is with me, um, we form friendships that will last a lifetime. And uh, we are very, very grateful. I know that many, many came. And I know that many more gave. And I know that probably many, many more prayed. And I just, from the bottom of my heart, want to thank you uh, for myself and for Joyce. Uh, we, we are blessed to have this union. It's like a family reunion to come here. So thank you. Um, I want to do one more thing before I share my message with you. And that is, uh, I'm led to pray uh, for the Ukrainians. It's not a political prayer. Uh, as Tom said, this is still God's kingdom. He's still in charge. Um, so as much as I might want to speak out about it, it's not a political prayer, but it's a spiritual prayer against the evil that is rampant in the world today. Uh, you know, as Americans, I think sometimes we feel like we're removed from the events of the world going on around us and we're safe and nothing's going to come to us. Uh, we become calloused because the atrocities have not yet reached home. And we can't allow that. As Christians, we are commanded to pray for the oppressed, for the lost, for the weak, for the poor, for the widow. Uh, and so I'd just like to take a moment now and pray for Ukraine. Father God, I pray for the people of Ukraine today who are uh, in the midst of defending themselves in a genocide. I pray that your mighty arm would protect them and would bring them peace. Lord, uh, show them a way through this uh, that will not end in thousands and thousands of deaths. Comfort them. Renew their faith in you. Let them see your hand through these atrocities. In Jesus' name, amen. The Galatians 6.1 says, uh, Brethren, if any man is overtaken uh, in a trespass or oppression, you who are spiritual should restore such a one, lest you, in a spirit of gentleness, lest you are also tempted. It said, Bear one another's burdens, and in this way, 
fulfill the law of Christ. And I think we just need to be cognizant of that all the time. Uh, sometimes we just get caught up in ourselves. And, uh, you know, we have enough problems of our own to deal with. Uh, we need to deal with those, of course, but we also need to be compassionate toward the world around us. Well, I want to share with you today about one chapter of the Bible uh, that's very short, but I think is probably one of the more important. It's, it's hard to say that because every chapter of the Bible is more important than that. Uh, but this one maybe is more impactful when we take the time to look at it than some others. This chapter, some have called the biography of Christ. Some have called it the first gospel. Some have said it is the gospel according to God. John MacArthur says it answers the riddle of the Old Testament. And Martin Luther says every Christian should memorize this chapter. Have you guessed what chapter I'm talking about? It is Isaiah 53. I want you to turn there with me. This is a, you know, Isaiah sometimes is known for his lengthy speeches, but this is a chapter in Isaiah of only 12 verses. And yet, people talk about it in this manner. As we read these 12 verses, there are two things I want you to keep in mind. First of all, or two things to notice. First of all, you'll notice that the verbs in this chapter are past tense. And then you will notice that the pronouns are first person plural. I'll just let that out there for now to hang for you to figure out why I'm saying that, but I will, we will discuss it. But keep that in mind. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, 
so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Father God, I just seek the presence of the Holy Spirit here this day. I pray, Lord, that uh, you will lead and guide us uh, through this short chapter and reveal to us uh, the truths that you would have us glean from it. I pray, Father, uh, that you remove the speaker from this process and allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign here this day, that each and every one of us would be impacted by the Spirit and our lives changed, our faith strengthened, and our courage and boldness renewed to share you and the good news of the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this short chapter has been called all these things. Uh, again, the biography of Christ, uh, the first gospel, the gospel according to God, solves the riddle of the Old Testament. Martin Luther says everyone should, every Christian should memorize it. Now we can't, we don't have time to exposit this verse by verse, but I want to take a look at some of the claims that we just mentioned. The first one was, it's the biography of Christ. I think that's pretty easy to discern. Uh, verse 2 speaks of his birth. Verse 3 speaks of his rejection. Verse 4 of his taking our griefs uh, and being wounded for our iniquities. Verse 7, he's silent before his accusers. Verse 8, he's crucified. Verse 9, he's in a rich man's tomb. And 10 and 12 is his substitution for our sins, for our debts. So I think, uh, without any question, we can agree that this chapter is speaking about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But here's an interesting thing about those verbs and the pronouns. This chapter was given to Isaiah to write by God 700 years before his birth. And yet, it's written as if a people who already lived it is speaking back to what they experienced. Now that's amazing. There are many prophecies in the Bible that have proven to come true. But this one really leaps to me that the prophecy is 700 years in the future 
And yet God has given Isaiah the words of a group of people, that group being the Jews, who lived through this prophecy that is to come. And so it's been witnessed by the Jews. To me, this is one of the great proofs of the inerrancy of the Bible. I mean, how, how could a man do that on his own? How could a man prophesy what would happen 700 years in advance and then tell me how the people felt who lived up there? So I, I love it for that. But because of this truth, because it is spoken from the viewpoint of the Jews who committed these atrocities against Jesus Christ, Many people call it the torture of the rabbis. They don't want to read this. They don't want to review this chapter. Warren Wearsby says it is for the Jews like scaling Mount Everest. For many years, this was not even permitted to be read in a synagogue. Now, you know, Isaiah is highly revered by the Jews. But yet these short 12 verses... They removed. They didn't want their heinous crimes revealed. They didn't want to review them. They didn't want to talk about them. But God didn't let that escape. Some say, the next claim, that it is the first gospel. Well, if we define the gospel as good news, which everybody does, and it's good news about what? Good news about our Savior, Jesus Christ, then... This might be the first gospel, because this is the first good news about Jesus Christ. His birth, his raising, his rejection, his crucifixion, and his taking our sins upon himself. So some commentators say, this should be the first gospel, Matthew should be the second gospel. And then we come to this riddle of the Old Testament. Now I'll tell you, um, I, I, I started to prepare this message um, because I, and part of my daily discipline, I was reading and I happened to read Isaiah 53 and I was just going to read it and keep going. But the Lord stopped me and spoke to me, if you will, not audibly, um, but spoke to me and said, I, you know, I want you to look into this. I want you to delve into this. I don't want you to read this chapter and just move on. There's more here for you to glean. And so I started to dig around about it, and that's how I stumbled. I, frankly, had never heard of the riddle of the Old Testament before. I don't know if you have or not. But I, as I started to study this, I found out that, uh, I don't know if it originated with him or not, but... Uh, where I heard it was from John MacArthur. And if you turn back to uh, Exodus chapter 34, we'll see where that comes from. Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and children's children to the third and fourth generations. So what is the riddle of the Old Testament? The riddle of the Old Testament is how can God forgive sin and punish sin at the same time? Well, what's the answer? The cross, of course. Yeah. And this chapter 53 answers that for us. This Isaiah 53 is uh, held in such high esteem by the New Testament authors that it is quoted or alluded to over 85 times. So obviously, um, this, this chapter is meaningful. Uh, so why do I bother to tell you those things about this chapter today? Uh, I mean, I, there's no new doctrine. There's nothing to tell you how to do this or how to do that. So why bother to bring up these things that are kind of hidden within that chapter? Um, first of all, my pastor in Telco Plains, Richard Parker, uh, has been doing a series on worship. And in his first message, he said that we need to focus when we read the Bible. We need to know what we're reading. I think sometimes we're all guilty from time to time of allowing the world to rush us. Uh, we have our disciplines, we have our Bible reading times, and, and we're faithful, hopefully. Uh, but sometimes the events of day-to-day -day life just maybe cause us to rush through and to read it almost out of obligation instead of desire. Uh, I just, I know that happens from time to time. Uh, and I think what's important about just picking that little chapter apart is to show you what, is, what can be unpacked in just 12 verses. It's so that we can see that we need to slow down and take the time to, to read, to glean what God is trying to tell us. Every time we read, we should be trying to find out how it's applicable in my life today. The Bible says that every word written is for us, for our warnings, for our encouragement. Sometimes I, I, we don't do that. Sometimes, again, we just read to read, and we need to, we need to take the time to see what God has for us. God has a warning. God has encouragement. God has strength in every word of this book. You know, uh, we have these programs of read through the Bible in a year. Why? What's the point? So, so I can say I got through it in a year, but what did I get out of it in a year? I don't fall into that stuff. Read, praying before you read, asking God to reveal what he wants you to glean this day, how he's going to strengthen you this day. Don't, don't fall into somebody's guideline. So that was the first reason. Uh, you know, it sounds elementary to focus, but 
again, occasionally the world just causes us to, to keep moving by it. Psalm 97.11 says, Light is sown for, right, for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. You know where that light's sown? Right here. First, right here. Gladness and the upright in heart come right here from knowing Jesus Christ, from knowing God, from knowing what he wants for us, from us, how to conduct our lives. It begins here. And so we need to soak in his word. Secondly, I just wanted to show you how much is really packed in to 12 short verses. Um, you know, God, God's word is meant to have an impact on you and I as an individual. Uh, but it's also to have an impact on his bride, on the church as a whole. And if we don't focus in, if we don't unpack his word a verse at a time, we're missing the treasure that God has provided for us. Third, I just wanted to give you one more proof of the Bible's inerrancy. I just, I'm just astounded over and over about a prophecy 700 years in advance and yet written in the words of a nation that lived through it and was guilty of it. After you read that, how can, how can anybody ever challenge your belief that the Bible is inerrant, complete? Um, so that's just, I think uh, the whole message is just slow down. Meditate, digest, unpack, take in, because you can find uh, treasures within his word that, that we will gloss over. And we, we don't want to do that to ourselves. The, the enemy is, is too quick to cause us to stumble and we need the strength that comes from this. So, uh, I think uh, when, we, when we read the, the response of commentators uh, who have studied and studied this little chapter and said, it is the torture of the rabbis. Or for the Jews, it's like scaling Mount Everest. Uh, it, it gives us an idea of what maybe we passed over in, in a quick reading. God's word is meant to restore and to renew. And it will. It absolutely will. If you take the time to soak it in. Um, Isaiah 53, I'd love to go verse by verse, but we'd be here for 12 weeks. Uh, and I, we don't have that kind of time. Um, but Isaiah 53 to me 
is just one of the more powerful little chapters in the Bible. And I thank God that he stopped me and impressed upon me to read it and to digest it and to dig into it. And that's what you need to pray and ask God before you read. That he impresses it upon you. What he wants you to apply into your life today. I think too many times we read it. We even understand it. And we know what they should do. Oh, but what should I do? Sometimes we fail to recognize that it's pointed here. So that's, that's it. That's the whole deal. Uh, I just hope that from that little lesson on that chapter, uh, when you read tomorrow or tonight, you do it a little more slowly. You allow his treasure to soak into you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have provided these treasures for us. I thank you that uh, you have given us a means to come to know you in a deeper sense, in a personal sense. And I pray that you spur us via the Holy Spirit to take the steps necessary to glean from your word what you would have us to, to understand this day and to know how to apply it into our lives, to strengthen our walks, that we might become more bold, that we might share the gospel in every opportunity we have. We love you, Lord. We long for more of you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you... Uh, if you heard that and you're encouraged to maybe enter into a Bible study somewhere, you have uh, Andy and your other pastors and elders and Sunday school teachers in this church who are well-versed in God's Word. I encourage you, if you're not in one of those, take those steps, move forward, and, and grow yourself. Again, thank you for allowing me to come and express the gratitude of Joyce and I for everything that you have done for us. Uh, it was a remarkable, remarkable six-year partnership. And uh, for the rest of my life, I'll be grateful to you. Thank you.